Well, thank you, team. Take your Bible this morning. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. We're making our way uh, through uh, Acts, and we're in chapter 11. We're verse 19. Yesterday, uh, my son and I watched a ball game on television, and we were a little tired, and uh, I looked at him. I said, I believe that it would be the will of the Lord that you and I get in the car and go through the drive-in at Chick-fil-A and get one of them big milkshakes. He said, in Jesus' name, I agree. And uh, so we went down and got in the line and came through, and uh, the lady got our order. uh, She said, well, they just come in. I said, I want the biggest thing you got. And she said, okay. She said, they just come in those. So I said, give me three. We'll, we'll split that second one, third one. And, and, and so we got that. And, and as we went on around, we got almost up to the window. And a young girl came and knocked on the window. I wasn't expecting her. And I rolled the window down. She said, pastor. I said, well, yeah, sweet girl. She said, this preaching in Acts is the best thing you've done done that I can ever remember. Now, she's just a kid, okay? I mean, uh, so she don't remember way back, but, uh, but she's getting blessed. She said, just going through Acts is really blessing my life. And I said, well, amen, it's blessing me too as I study again through this wonderful, wonderful book, the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, so I got my milkshake and I re- took it, and I repented of my sin, and I'm ready to preach, all right? So Acts chapter 11, we begin in verse 19, read through the end of the chapter, down through verse number 30, where Luke is writing about the early church and the principles involved in all that happened. Acts chapter 11, you follow along in verse 19, because this now is the word of our great God. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began preaching, uh, began speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when he had arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he, that is Barnabas, left left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would 
certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. The revival broke out. Antioch, the church at Jerusalem, said, Barnabas, we select you. Go and see if this is the real deal. And so Barnabas came to Antioch, and many came to faith in Christ. And he told them, stay true. He encouraged them with a resolute heart to remain faithful and cleave unto the Lord. And it's Barnabas I want us to look at for a moment today. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. The man God called good. I'm telling you, I do a lot of funerals. And I often will be told, oh, Pastor He is a good man. I hear that over and over. But you know, that descriptor seems to have lost a little luster. Clovis Chapel, the old preacher from yesteryear, said this. A good man seems to be a person who didn't swear, lie, steal, or dip snuff. (laughs) He never made a mistake or anything else. A good man. You know, good seems to just be almost in neutral if you're not careful. He's a good man. You couldn't think of anything else to say, so he's just a good man. But God identified one of his greatest personalities and acts as a good man. Agathos is this word. It means benevolent, useful, profitable, upright. It can be translated virtuous or good. Barnabas, this is his nickname. His given name in the King James is Joseph or Joseph. In Acts 4 and 36, he is Joseph. And he was known as the son of consolation or the son of encouragement. Many people will preach this message and simply entitle it Mr. Encouragement. He was not said to be a genius. He was not said to be gifted. He was said to be a good man. So this morning, I want us to think about being a good man or a good woman. And what does that mean from the life of Barnabas? Let's dig into Barnabas for a few minutes here and look at the man God called good. 
Barnabas was anything but boring. This good man is a pattern for all of us. First of all, I want you to know that good people display discipleship. They display a discipleship, a growing faith. You you see it uh, here in the text that he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Now, I understand Jesus said it in Luke 18, 19, there is none good, no one except God alone. No one is good save God alone. And Paul said it in Romans 7 and verse 18, nothing good dwells in me. Nothing good, Paul said, dwells in me. But you see, God called him good, therefore there was something in Barnabas that was good, and it was not himself. It was the Lord of Calvary in him and through him that made him good. There is no good thing in you. There is none good save God. But when Jesus is in us, we become a Barnabas a good man, a good woman. Three things I want you to see about this discipled life, this discipleship, displaying discipleship, that growing learner. Three things. Number one, he is a saved man. Barnabas was a saved man. Jesus was in him. So I just want to ask you this morning, you're sitting in this room listening to me. You're on the Warrington campus listening to the pastor preach this morning. You're at home uh, or listening somewhere uh, on a device and looking. I, I invited one man to come today, and he said, Pastor, I can't. I have to be somewhere else, but I will be virtually watching. So I, I am speaking to you, John. Uh, that's your first name. I'm speaking to you, John. Anybody else watching on that device? It, I, Let's nail this down this morning. It's Sunday morning, 9-11, early service, Olive Baptist Church. If a plane ran into this place or your place, heaven or hell for you? Heaven or hell? You must be born again to go there. If you're not born again, you go there. Immediately. Presence of God or absent? Oh, Barnabas was a saved man. We, we don't know his testimony, but he was a good man. Therefore, Jesus was in him because no good thing resides in us except Christ himself. So somewhere along the way, Barnabas came to faith in Jesus Christ. Can you take me to a place and tell me of a time when Jesus saved you? Friend, if you can't take me to a place, tell me of a time. Walk right here in just a minute when I finish, and this can be the time, and this can be the place. God loved the world. You were a wretch, a rotten, stinking sinner. You still are. So is the guy talking to you. There's nothing good in me save Jesus and Jesus alone. But Jesus died for me. He drew me. He said, believe, and I'll say, and he saved my soul. If he's never saved you, let today be the day. God extends to you, and he says to you what he said to those fishermen, come and follow me. Jesus went to Calvary. You can't save yourself. You can't get there by yourself. He is the bridge to eternity. Trust him. 
with all your soul. Barnabas was a saved man. He was secondly a surrendered man. Oh, yes, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He had fully given up to God. Amen. He is in full surrender. That's the only way you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You empty yourself of yourself so you can be filled with the Spirit of Almighty God. You must come to the end of yourself as a saved man or woman as you grow and you live this discipleship life and display discipleship. It is Christ that's in you, but He's also through you. Amen? Are you dead to yourself today? Hey, Christian, you say you're going to heaven, but are you living Jesus in this life? Are you living Christ? You only do that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you must empty yourself of yourself in order that He might, like a river of living water, as Jesus said in John 7, flow through you. Barnabas was a saved man. He was a surrendered man, but now don't miss this. Barnabas was a supernatural man. When you get to Acts 15, 12 at the great, great business meeting of the Acts church, in chapter 12, Barnabas, the Bible said, related the signs and wonders that God had done through them. God was doing signs and wonders. He was doing the supernatural through the life of Barnabas and Saul. You see, a good man is a saved man who has surrendered and is allowing God to work supernaturally through his life. Some of you may say, Pastor, I don't think I've ever seen anything supernatural in my life. I'm here to tell you to Chick-fil-A yesterday. It was supernatural in my life. I'm not talking about the milkshake. I'm talking about the little girl that God's speaking into her soul. Put me there at the time where she was. I don't know that I was there first. She was there to encourage the pastor. Amen. She spoke a word to me. It was like a cool drink of water to a weary soul. I mean, I, I love to hear old people get blessed, but I'm telling you, when that generation gets blessed, uh, that cranks me up. That puts gas on my fire. And oh, she blessed me. God's doing this. I was here Wednesday night. And I got a text on my phone. Amazon has just delivered a package to your house. Well, I knew I didn't order it. And the one that ordered it wasn't in town. And so I thought, well, I might ought to check on that. So I jumped in my car and went home. And it's just around the corner. I didn't go home to get that box. It was there, and I stuck it in a house. It was an ambulance across the street. One of my neighbors. I'm trying to reach out to. I went in. They were loading him up. I said, can I pray? Took him by the hand. He said, yes, sir, you can pray. I've never had a person being put on a gurney to go into an ambulance if I've asked to pray. Say, oh, hell no. <laughs> I've never had that. It's always heaven, yes. Amen. And I prayed, and they shipped him off and took him. His wife kissed me. Hurry. 
She hugged me and kissed me. said, thank you. Thank you. You take care for what you want to. I, I believe God used Amazon. And if God can use Amazon in Jesus' name, that's supernatural. <laughs> Amen. It got me to where I need to be. I wouldn't have been. I'd have been here. But I ran in. I came back here. Finished up the night. But you see, for you, you've got to be a good man. Full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. Faith. Believing it is so when it's not so in order that it can be so. Finding the truth of God and hanging on to that truth and saying, God, I'm going to trust you. You've promised and I'm hanging to the promise. A good man, good people will display this kind of discipleship within their life. Number two, a good person, good people not only display discipleship, good people display stewardship, stewardship. You see, Barnabas was a Levite and Levites could not own property in Israel. If you were a Levite, you didn't have property. But in Acts 4, we find that Barnabas had a piece of property and he sold it and he brought it all and gave it to the church so that they could use it to help the poor. And you remember Ananias and Sapphira saw that story. We preached about it and they lied to God and they, God killed them. They said we sold some land, but they didn't give everything. Barnabas was a steward. So, well, he didn't, how did he sell that land? Well, he probably, because he's from the island of Cyprus, he probably owned land on the island of Cyprus, or maybe his family owned it and they died and there was an inheritance. I don't know how it came to be, but we know in Acts 4 he had property, he sold it, and he gave the property. Let me just say a word to you, especially in this early service about inheritance, because many of you sit on that. Uh, it, it comes not only do you give it, but it comes to you. And when that inheritance comes, I have people all the time, they ask me, say, Pastor, do I have to tithe what comes to me from my parents? They've already themselves tithed on it. Do I have to tithe on it? Why are you asking me that question? <laughs> you ever had that money before? That money ever been yours before? Do you do anything for it except just breathe, have the right name? Barnabas honored the Lord with his stewardship. And then we find in our text that we read today, when they got ready because the famine was coming to Judea, they said, we took up an offering and we're going to send it. And who are we going to send it? They trusted Barnabas. The man who first gave, and now they're going to give to others. He is the steward. Two principles about stewardship I want you to see today. Number one, if you're going to be a good steward, and if you're going to be a good, good man or a good woman, then you must display stewardship. Number one, the first principle of stewardship is a conviction that God is the owner of it all. Your house, your car, your bank account, you don't have that except God gave it to you on loan. He is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all of us. He bought us. He purchased us. And so the first principle being 
a good steward is that God owns it all. Secondly, you must have a devotion to generosity, being devoted to being generous. And I believe that generosity begins with the first tenth of your income coming to the local house of worship called the tithe, and then you give beyond there. My mama is a member of this church. She gives her tithe. I see to it every month. She can't do it. I help her do it. What she makes, she tithes here. She was for 60 plus years a member of our church in North Alabama. They're having a program where they've got to redo like we're doing here. Some things wear out. And so I, I got a phone call from the church. Just wanted to let Miss Jean know that you know, she loved our church. She might want to help us with this project. Well, Miss Jean don't know. But I know. I got saved in that church. And it was easy for me to be generous. Because I wasn't giving my money, I was giving her money. <laughs> but since I'm the only kid, I was giving my money if I outlive her. So I was able to give a gift. Friend, you hear this all the time. You can't outgive God. And let me tell you, you're never more like the devil than when you're stingy. Me, 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 mine, 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 mine. Keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it. Hoard, 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 hoard. It is more blessed. Oh, yeah. Amen. And you see, good people display stewardship. They're under conviction that God owns it all. And then they have this devotion to being generous to other people. I just want to stop right here before I hit point three and give an invitation. I stand amazed. at this family you are just some of the most generous people the way you give God's just blessed richly but I want to tell you this if everybody in here decided to tithe we'd have to pray and fast for a month to figure out what to do with the money if everybody decided we'll give a tenth for one year we wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Not everybody's there. But oh, what a great and generous spirit there is in this church. I was standing right here last Sunday, and a lady walked up to me and handed me an, off, uh, an envelope. Just, I thought it was a thank you note, and I just stuck it in my pocket and, and worked with it. I got home, opened that up, and I said, Oh! So then I composed myself and said, Lord, help me have decorum. I don't want to be. But she has been blessed, so she blessed the church. Hallelujah. God owns it all. And she was generous with that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Barnabas. Barnabas was a steward of all that God had given him. 
But now, thirdly, I want you to see, and this is really the most important thing about Barnabas. Not only did he display stewardship, and not only did he display discipleship, good people like Barnabas display friendship. Friendship. He's Mr. Encourager. That's what his name means. In verses 25 and 26, you know the story. Saul's been a church killer. He has been against the church, and he, we saw him. Uh, he's standing there when Stephen prayed. And you remember that phrase I used. Stephen prayed so Paul could preach. Amen. Stephen died. Conviction fell on Saul. He got saved on the Damascus Road. And now he's been gone for five years. He's been off down at Tarsus and Arabia. And God's been training him and teaching him. And he's teaching some. And Barnabas says, I need an associate. And he goes to Tarsus to find him. He's looking. He's, he doesn't know where he is. But he finds Saul and he brings him back. Listen to this. Saul, Paul staked his reputation, his life, and his church on Saul being the real deal. Barnabas became the friend of the greatest churchman the world has ever known. If Saul, uh, I mean if Stephen had not prayed, Paul would have not preached. And I'm telling you, had Barnabas not sought him, Saul would have not written the book of Romans. He found him, and he brought him, and he became his friend. So I just want to ask you this morning, two things. Number one, who is the greatest encourager in your life? Someone has been a great encouragement to you. Who's been the greatest encourager? We went over that this morning, didn't we, Brother John? And our staff, I asked the staff, who's been the greatest encourager in your life? Because I knew I was going to preach this message. And number two, who have you encouraged this month, 11 days in September? Who have you encouraged? Friend. So Barnabas was a friend to Saul. But there's a second friend. When you get to chapter 13, and we'll talk about this a little later, but it's the context of this. Saul and Barnabas were going on mission. And the Bible says in Acts 13, 5, they brought John Mark with them as a helper. He's a helper, the Bible says. He is the cousin of Barnabas. And John Mark said, I'm all in. They didn't go eight verses, and he was all out. He went with them for a little while, and then he reneged and went home. Why? We don't know. We go through chapter 14, we get to chapter 15, and the church is saying to Saul and to Barnabas, now we're sending you out. And Barnabas comes to Saul. It's amazing how you find in Scripture Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And then you get over to chapter 15, and it begins to flip. Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. Saul moved into the lead role, Paul. And Barnabas said, uh, how about we take old John Mark with us? And the apostle Paul said, nah, I can't trust him. Turned his back on us one time. And the Bible says there came such a sharp disagreement 
between Saul and Barnabas that they parted ways. Saul went one way and took a friend. The Bible says that Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus. That was his home, remember? It's where I think he sold the land. And we never hear from Barnabas again. That friendship is sometimes friends. On convictions part ways. Some of the hardest days of your life will be when you have to part ways with a friend, not over anger, over conviction. The hardest days of your life. And they part ways. You know about Paul. He wrote 13 books in the Bible, he went on, preached all over Acts. We see him go the glorious gospel. And Barnabas just goes to Cyprus. and We never hear from him again. But he took his cousin, John Mark. And we do hear from John Mark. Two things. In Romans, when Paul was hurting, guess who came to help him? John Mark and when the Lord got ready to give us a book he wrote four gospels you know which one's written first not Matthew Mark and who wrote it Barnabas cousin that he took to Cyprus you never know what you're pouring into the life of one somebody is going to do and the fruit that's going to come up from the seeds that you sow in godly friendship. Wow. It's not easy being a friend. It's easy to be an acquaintance. But to be a friend. I asked the staff team on Tuesday morning, who their greatest friends were. And then I said, get in small groups and give me some characteristics. They wrote down a lot, and I just gleaned seven of them that I want to give you. This is what our staff said. All of them together. But what is a friend? Pastor, a friend is honest, loyal. You can trust them. They have your back. They are authentic, they have listening ears, and they will give you their time as well as grace. Listen to that list again. A friend is honest, loyal, they they trust you, they have your back, they're real, they're authentic, they listen, and they will give you time as well as grace. What a friend we have in all our mm-hmm. everything to God in prayer. Oh, my Lord.
You see, Jesus is a friend that's closer than a brother. But sometimes we need another friend. She was the sweetest and most wealthy lady in the first church I pastored out of seminary. And when they built the building before I got there, they had a beautiful stained glass window at the top. And it was Jesus with the children. I preached under that for seven years. She had had a child to die and she gave the money. Talked to them about the design and Jesus with the children. Beautiful, beautiful stained glass. She got old and it was hard. She came in church one day and she said, Pastor, I was late today. I'm sorry. I said, well, what happened? She said, I couldn't find my shoes. I said, well, you got them on? She said, yeah, I found them in the refrigerator. <laughs> you know what was going on. She's slipping a little bit. And she said these words to me that have, I have never forgotten. She said, you know, the Lord never leaves you, but every now and then you just need a friend with some skin on it. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. He's always there. Now. But she said, sometimes you need a friend with skin. And boy, every now and then, you, you just need this right here. Jim Burt died this week. I went by the house. He's lying there in the bed. Sandy, sweet Sandy, work over here for us in the kitchen. The hospice nurse had just left. I went in. I took Jim's hand. Oh, he's kind of cold. I spoke to him. He grunted and tried to speak and raise up a little. I left there and went to the hospital and prayed for somebody else. And then I didn't want to get back to the church. And they sent a text that Jim had died. I said, I was just there. They said, yeah, preacher, don't, nobody else don't want you to come pray for him. It, 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 <laughs> and, and said, just, just sign that to somebody else, would you? We chuckled about it. I called her. I was so glad that God had me go by. Sometimes you just need a friend with skin on it. That's what Barnabas was. Not only did he have skin, he had skin in the game. Friend, the only way to be a friend is get skin in the game. Amen. So we're going to do something now that is against the rules. And you can't do it, but I'm doing it. We hadn't done this in three years. Come on, John. 
I want you to get over to what a friend we have in Jesus. Okay? Find it. I'm throwing him a curve. If he can't find it, I'll lead it again. <laughs> and we're going to have an invitation here in a minute. And I'm going to go out there in the foyer today. And I'll be out there to meet you. You never trusted Jesus. Come knowing. But don't forget Barnabas being a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. So I'm going to do this. This is illegal. You, you can't even do this. This is against all etiquette. So I'd like you to stand. Oh, forgive me, Lord. I want you to join hands across the aisles with people. Now, if you're scared, go, don't touch yourself when we get done and go to one of them squirt things out there. We, I sit in stadiums with a hundred and something thousand people. People I don't even know and they're screaming, spitting all over me. And I think we can't even hold hands in church anymore. My Lord, help us. This looks so good. It looks good. Amen. Let's sing it, John. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. John, just drop out and let's do it again, a cappella, okay? Don't even use your microphone after you get us started. Let's just hear our voices, all right? Let's just hear the voice of the church sing this old song. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to Sing it, church. Sing it, church. If you're here today and need to trust Jesus, there are people out there at those next step tables. I'm standing right here at the front. 
you want to join Olive Baptist Church, come right here. You say, Preacher, I'd like to get in on that baptism thing. Go to one of those tables or come see me. We'll help you to do whatever you do. Make sure that you are a good man or a good woman this week, full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. God bless you as you go and as you come deciding for Jesus.